Welcome to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric Robinson. Today we're going to take a little diversion from where we've been in our study on Luke, uh, and we are going to talk to Paul and Claire Ahrens, who are part of a team that is going to be in Mexico soon, and they're going to be planting a new church there. Uh, various members of the team are already, some of them already there, and then others are still yet to go, but all of them will be there by the end of August. So they will be starting a brand new work, and we want to talk to them about some of the things that are going on in their heads as they're preparing to leave the United States and head into this foreign field for a while. So we're really glad to have them with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Paul and Claire. Thanks for having us. Uh, we're just really glad you could be here. And it was easy, frankly, to kind of get you here since Claire is my daughter and Paul is her husband. And they're getting to spend a little bit of time with us before they run off to Mexico. And uh, we thought this might be something a lot, of, a lot of people might want to hear about because, you know, a lot of us hear about people starting new churches or mission works in different countries. But a lot of people have questions about what that would look like or how that must feel when you're a missionary leaving the country and what that even means. Um, so I thought this might be a good way to give some people a little information, uh, let them know that this is not <laughs> something that just comes up over a, you know, one night of having a few simple talks, uh, you know, over the phone with somebody, this is something that takes a lot of planning and comes up over even years worth of time. So y'all can, probably address this better than better than most of the people I know. So great to have y'all. Now, let's start with just y'all talk a little bit about where it is that you're going. Where is your mission work going to be? And what is it that made you feel like that would be a good place to start? So we'll be going to uh, a place in Mexico called Querétaro, Mexico. Really technically Santiago de Querétaro, Querétaro. Mexico. Okay. Uh, but for short, Querétaro. Uh, it's in South Central Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, about three hours north of Mexico City. Um, and I think that's all you need to know about where it is. It's, okay. And, unless you're super familiar with Mexico geography, it's all in relation to Mexico City. Okay. So, so then about how far over the border would that mean that it is from like if you were to go over the texas border headed south straight north of Querétaro, about where would that be it'd be pretty far it's like 10 yeah it's about 10 hours okay. from here okay or from the border that is from it's like border. 17 hours from here okay gotcha yeah that is quite a ways in so you feel like you're really in the heart of mexico i guess once you're getting down that far now what's the topography like there how what's the landscape look like um, as far as just natural features in that area it's pretty mountainous they have the Caretro is surrounded by mountains and there's one big mountain in the middle of the city okay and it is more green than here not here being lubbock texas more green than the desert okay <laughs> it does rain a lot there they get they have a whole rainy season in the summer so it rains for about three months every day. Mm, okay. That's significantly more than we ever see here. Um, even if it were to rain every other day for three months, that would be really impressive to us. Okay. So sounds like it's pretty nice. Kind of mountainy, kind of very green, you know, probably kind of lush. So things to do in the area would involve 
hiking and mountain climbing and stuff like that would also be a part, I'm guessing, of what goes on down there. Now, when you're going to go down there, which is when? When do y'all plan on being down there again? August 10th. Okay. So on August 10th, are you going to drive or fly? Fly. going to fly from Lubbock to Caretro. And how how much stuff are you going to be able to take on a plane? Are you going to like find another way to get stuff down there? Or are you going to take everything you're going to take with you whenever you get on the plane? Well, uh, so we're going to be able to take, you know, a couple of suitcases as, as is typical with international travel. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also uh, going to, so mostly that stuff's going to be your necessities and things you don't want to spend a lot of money on, like clothing or, uh, things that can't be replaced like personal yeah. articles pictures whatever exactly. uh, for the most part we're going to be buying most of our stuff there mm-hmm. any furniture beds um tv whatever you can imagine mm-hmm. that that we can of course that's what we raised one-time support for that's okay. typically what missionaries do right and uh so in raising your support has that come along like you've hoped it would uh, so far, it, it has been good. We've had a lot of people uh, who have partnered with us in that, uh, especially in our one time. We definitely have had the floodgates opened by God in the one time department. Uh, we're still seeking support for our monthly mm-hmm. for people to support us or partner with us in support monthly. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's coming along. Of course, we know that God is in control of it. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever listeners we have, I know they have hearts for this kind of thing, for God's word, for getting it out, for mission work, and especially among people who uh, need more churches and need more access to God's word. So really want to put that out there to all of y'all who might be listening. If you consider this something that you might like to get involved in, you're welcome to contact uh, Eat Scripture through our email addresses that are online at eatscripture.com. You can find a couple of email addresses there, and we would be happy to get more information to you about this mission right away. Now, back to the Cretro talk. This is um, a place we haven't heard of before, and you said it's a couple of hours from Mexico City, kind of north, northwest of Mexico City. So how big is this place? Querétaro is about 1.8 million people. Wow. It's okay. pretty big. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, we went and visited last year, January of 2020. And as far as we know, there's only five churches of Christ in all of Querétaro. Mm-hmm. And each one only has about 20 Christians, maybe. Okay. So for how big the population is, there are not very many Christians. Right. Okay. So whenever you go to Cretro to start your church then, and we're talking about a city of 1.8 million people, how did you, how do you decide in a city that big where to locate and you know what to do when you're first starting out? Well, what we did, um, one thing, with big cities, particularly Latin American cities, is it's very divided into neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and neighborhoods are very distinct. It's more like instead of one city, it's more like a bunch of little towns mm-hmm. together. And so um, you have your choice of a bunch of, of different ones there. And so uh, we talked to some people who 
had they they've been in Querétaro for quite a few years. They're from there and they they've planted a church and uh, so we talked to them and asked, you know, where where would you recommend? And uh, of course, they gave us a list. But one place that we've heard a few people mention is where we've chosen. It's called Juriquilla. Mm -hmm. It's in the north part of, of Querétaro. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a newer part of the city. It's where they've expanded. And it's also where uh, their university, UNAM, is. Mm -hmm. And so there's, with all of us being younger in our 20s, our mid-20s, mm -hmm. um, that's more of our more of an appropriate demographic for us because we can relate with them better. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds like great logic to me. I mean, I would think being around people who are at a similar stage in life as y'all would be an excellent choice to make. So in Hudikia, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. In Hudikia, then, uh, are there some of your teammates already down there? What What's going on with the rest of your team? So... Two of our teammates moved down there last Tuesday, mm -hmm. so Great. 20th, July 20th, mm -hmm. and they got a house, mm -hmm. and they're going to move in in a couple days. Okay. And then two of our other teammates live in Mexico City. Right. Because um, they moved down there with his parents to do mission work with them because they're missionaries in Mexico City, so mm -hmm. they've been working with them for a year. And they're going to move to Queretaro about the same time Paul and I moved down. They just had their first baby. Okay. Last week. And the, so they had their baby, you said last week. Yes. Were they already in Mexico when they had this baby? They were already in Mexico. They've been planning to have their baby there since they found out they were pregnant. Okay. And found a hospital and a doctor and everything went very smoothly. So hopefully they'll be able to move with their baby Grayson in just a couple of weeks. Okay. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit, um, you know, uh, obscure in my talk here, but I was aware, obviously, that your teammates had been down there. But I asked that question like somebody who might ask it if they had just heard that from you, because it seems like uh, that's one of the questions people want to know. If if you were having a baby, why would you choose to have it there instead of in the U.S.? Which is a question that's become important now for you and Paul, because you are uh, expecting and you're a little over halfway through your pregnancy and what are y'all's plans uh regarding that as the time draws near so we will be having our uh our baby there we're mm -hmm. expecting a baby girl in november actually the day before thanksgiving okay um so we're we're gonna have her there uh mostly it's a lot of it's logistical um it's just a lot easier for us to be able to see our doctor if we have it if we have her there, we can um, see our doctor every two weeks or whatever you're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing in the third trimester. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wouldn't have to raise that support to fly back to the United States to deliver the baby to a doctor who hasn't seen her mm -hmm. for a long time. Right. So the only other option really would be just to wait all the way until Zoe, it will be her name or is her name, mm -hmm. uh, wait until Zoe's born. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wait an additional amount of time till the baby's ready to be on a plane mm -hmm. and move. So we would be postponing our our plans probably six months. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't just affect us. That would greatly affect our team. Right. And uh, we're one of the things we looked at when we went on our survey trip last January, we actually snuck it in right before COVID really, mm -hmm. um, was the hospitals. And all of us... Uh, have the desire to have children some of us are having children earlier than than others but it's all in our plans 
And so looking at hospitals was one of the top priorities Mm -hmm. and making sure that the hospitals we felt were uh, up to date, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that we felt like we could, we could be there and be safe and be comfortable. And, and, uh, Hudikia's hospital is uh, really top notch. It would be, uh, well, I believe it'd be a highly rated hospital here in the United States. Okay. Um, and as a, as a bonus, I, I am fluent in Spanish. Claire's not. The the doctors at this hospital particularly are required to speak English as well as Spanish. They're required to be bilingual. Okay. So uh, we, we're in good hands mm-hmm. in Huidiquia. Okay. Well, I will say that the research that y'all have done leading up to this and heading toward being on the field and knowing that you're going to have your baby there, what you've done looking into the hospitals and the medical care and everything that will be surrounding the birth has really put your mother, Claire, your mother and I at ease just uh, with the pictures and the information that you've given us. So I just want to reassure our listeners too, this isn't something that a decision that's just made without a lot of uh, intense looking at what uh, they can expect when they get to Mexico and reassure everybody that plenty of time and prayer and research has been put into uh, any kind of decision like this. So now that we have those kind of things in place, now that you guys have those kind of things in place, I also want to ask you about like, how did your team even get together? What, what was uh, behind all of you guys deciding to become a team and go to Mexico together? So six, we have eight people on our team. We all went to AIM and six of us were in the same class. So six of us have known each other since 2015 mm-hmm. and um, me and uh, one of our teammates, Ian, mm-hmm. we went to Phoenix together and did mission work with a missionary there mm-hmm. with a couple other people. And Paul went with one of our teammates, Neva, to Cochabamba, Bolivia. Okay. And then once we all got back to Lubbock, Paul talked to one of our teammates, Christian, uh-huh. uh, or one of our classmates, Christian, and they decided that they really wanted to do mission work together, but mm-hmm. weren't sure where, but Christian really wanted to go back to Mexico. He's from Mexico, actually. Okay. He's from Guadalajara. Oh, okay. So he's a Mexican citizen. Yes. And he and his wife both had a desire to go back to Mexico. She's from Seminole, Texas. Okay. And and so whenever they were talking together, then that kind of spurred on, I guess, talks with these other couples that you're connected to through your school. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all of us wanted. So all the males on our team were at Sunset together once okay. we got off the field. Sunset and being? Sunset International Bible Institute in Lubbock, Texas. Okay. So it's a preaching school and mm-hmm. they were all in the missions track. Okay. All on the missions track. Okay. So all of them had a desire to go back to the mission field and do Mm -hmm. mission work, but they didn't know where they wanted to go. And uh, we had lots of discussions as a team about where we wanted to go and finally decided on Queretaro, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And um, mostly because Christian and Reagan really wanted to go back there, but all of us were very excited too. And seven or no, six people... I'm sorry, trying to think. Five people on our team already speak Spanish. Okay, five Spanish speakers, and then three that are kind of in in the learning Learning. process 
yes, okay, including yourself, but I happen to know that, you know, you've learned a lot of uh, Spanish just from being around Paul as much <laughs> all the time. And Paul, now you, did you know any Spanish before you went to Bolivia? No, I actually learned, uh, I mean, I, I took, just like most people, uh, <laughs> at least here in the United States, I took Spanish in in school, mm -hmm. uh, but not much stuck. Uh, really, okay. all I learned was uh, colors and numbers. Is yeah. about all I went there with. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in our, uh, I took classes uh, mm -hmm. five days a week for three hours a day uh, for six months while okay. we were there. And then um, Bolivia, for those who aren't aware, it's in the central of South America, so it's very far um, from here. It's a six-hour flight from Miami, so okay. it's not close. And so, since it's so far away. They don't really have a lot of they don't have a lot of reason to have a lot of English speakers. Right. So I didn't have a safety net to mm. to fall back on or a crutch really was mm -hmm. what it would be. So yeah. my my brain just went to survival mode and realized, hey, you gotta you gotta <laughs> learn it or you're not gonna be able to to thrive here. Right. You gotta be able to ask where a bathroom is. I mean, if you can't do that, exactly. you're not gonna stay long. Um, so when you were in Bolivia, then I'm guessing that that was a great experience for you to really caused you to did you fall in love with the latin culture is that what happened i mean um because now to be going to mexico i'm thinking that must have had a big big impact on you yeah well uh we grew up i mean where i'm from i'm from pueblo colorado and there's a large latin american mm -hmm. uh, population definitely the at the very least the influence of it mm -hmm. uh, so i kind of grew up around it i didn't learn spanish like i said but right. uh and another thing we did as a congregation in Pueblos, we went to a children's home in Mexico uh, once. Uh, in some years, we went twice a year. Um, so I've been quite a few times. And uh, that actually, at that children's home uh, in the village, we were doing a uh, food distribution. That's where I decided that I wanted to mm. do missions. And then speaking Spanish or learning Spanish is already an advantage. So I figured, well, Maybe I should just go back to Latin America because mm. I'm familiar with it and mm -hmm. I speak the language. Yep. It would save me a lot of time and money not going somewhere, for example, where they speak French or, mm -hmm. or an Asian culture where it's a totally different language. <laughs> I already have yeah. a leg up on it. And so I figured I may as well use that yeah. advantage. I got that. Now, how long were you in Bolivia? I was in Bolivia for a year and a half. Okay. Uh, almost to the day. Okay. A year and a half. And and Claire had said that she was in Phoenix during that time, most of that time anyway. So y'all and and Claire, when you were in Phoenix, did y'all work with any Spanish speakers there? We worked with a lot of Spanish speakers. Our main um, mission work that we did was with kids in the community. Mm -hmm. We worked downtown, okay. and so a lot of them are poor families, mm -hmm. and we would come and hang out with the kids and do Bible stories with them and projects with them. Okay. And most of their parents only spoke Spanish. So we did take classes, mm -hmm. some Spanish classes my team did, so that we would know enough to be able to at least talk to their parents. Right. The kids did, they were completely fluent in English because mm -hmm. they were in school. So the um, kids were as, in help, as much help interpreting as anything, really. They were yeah. primary in that. Yes. Okay, so you do you you did get a little Spanish, obviously, just being in that setting with those folks, which is great. So now headed for Mexico, like you are, we'll kind of 
transition a little bit. Well, let's just say first, whenever you, Paul, got back here to the States and whenever you and Claire were married got and, and made your, some of your first choices about where to go in ministry, I know that y'all also wound up, you know, most recently uh, for quite a few months in El Paso. So that is a place known in Texas as having a very large uh, Latin American, Spanish-speaking population. Uh, um, what, what was it exactly that you did there? Uh, so for a year, just a slightly over a year, uh, I worked as an associate. My title was Associate Spanish Minister with an emphasis in uh, college age. So okay. basically means I did everything <laughs> that no one else did. Right. Um, at the Montwood Church of Christ, which they actually are sending or sponsoring mm-hmm. congregation. Um, okay. I worked under our Spanish minister, uh, worked with him, helped him uh, teach classes, um, preach if necessary, take some of the responsibilities of worship, like the Lord's Supper or leading prayers or, or whatever else. Um, and so that really helped my Spanish, particularly um, with some of the... Um, the slang or mm-hmm. sayings, right. you know, you know, right. we all, every language has, every culture has sayings yeah. that, um, they, they just don't, they're not going to teach you in class. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and Bolivia, um, most, since almost, I believe it's 75% of people who are in Bolivia are indigenous. Mm-hmm. And so their languages like Quechua and Aymara, they're still very prevalent. So the Spanish in Bolivia is very simple uh it it's a great place to learn it because they speak it very slowly and they ha- it's very simple like instead of having three different words for car that you can choose they just mm-hmm. only have one and only know one okay so working in el paso with primarily mexican americans uh-huh. uh, i was able to learn and transition a little bit easier to mexican spanish because i that's what i was preaching in mm-hmm. that's what i was conversating in Right. And uh, and then getting a, a hang of accents a little bit more, the Mexican accent, which, of course, uh, in Juarez, which is right next to El Paso, it's a little bit different than Querétaro, but it's still Mexican. So right. that, that was a it was a nice time to transition to mission work is particularly transition to Mexican mission work. OK, well, that's great because that. Yeah, really, I can see how that would set you up for heading further south of the border, as you'll be doing soon so now that you're kind of got your mind set on the fact that you're headed there very quickly uh and things are being arranged in your lives to kind of make this big move how do you feel knowing that this is right on the brink of happening now what kind of what kind of feelings are going on in your in your stomach what kind of thoughts are going through your head well uh We're mostly just really excited. Mm -hmm. We started talking about doing this uh, three years ago, Mm -hmm. over three years ago, a little bit. And so we've been just waiting and preparing this whole time with our team. And um, I am a little nervous. There's only two of us, me and Ian, who went to Phoenix with me, who have never lived out of the country before. And so that is nerve wracking, having to learn a new language and a new culture and everything. Whereas I'm so glad we have other people on our team who have been through that and done that before. But it's also scary that there's only two of us who have never done that. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And how do you feel, Paul? How, how is, what kind of thoughts are you having about this whole thing? Yeah, I'm mostly just excited, ready for it. I mean, a, a lot of us can understand uh, when we've been preparing for something for so long, talking about it, praying about it. You just kind of want it to get here, like, you know, graduating high school, graduating college, whatever. It's just like that, where it's like, it's finally here. And I'm excited. I, this, Like Claire said, it's not my first time uh, living out of the country. It is my first time living long term out of the country longer than 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a little bit better because this time I'm doing it with my family, not not just a team of people that I met very recently. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Going as, going as your family now, going with three other families and knowing that you're as close as you are. Um, this is really, I think, going to be a fantastic move for y'all and a great chance to really establish yourselves who you are in this foreign culture. Now, along those lines, how long do you plan to stay when you get down there? What, what kind of commitments are you making here on the front end? Well, we've made commitments to all the congregations who have partnered with us and also individuals uh, for five years to start. Okay. Um, it can, planning a congregation can, it can take five years and then they're ready for you to start weaning off and they can stand on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but some congregations, some cultures, it just takes a lot longer for the church to be mature enough for the missionaries to leave. So it, we'll, we're going to stay for five years. That's what we're committed to. And then evaluate every year after that and see where we stand. Gotcha. Okay. So you'll be having a baby right after you get there. So it'll be a growing family during this five years as y'all are uh, just putting the church pieces together little by little. Um, so whenever you get there, what are some basic strategy thoughts that you have about first things you want to do to kind of move into that whole church planting idea? Well, the first thing you got to do if you're planting or if you're a new evangelist somewhere or whatever is you need to start get meeting people mm -hmm. one way or another. So uh, we're going to be trying so while some of us are in school, Spanish school, that is trying mm -hmm. to learn. Um, the rest of us will just be. Um, trying to meet people whatever way in the supermarket um, mm -hmm. getting involved in activities you know community activities or even in some cases just knocking on doors of our neighbors just getting to meet them mm -hmm. uh, really just need to start cultivating relationships to start uh, and then from there that's when you can start implementing more strategies like bible specific bible studies mm -hmm. or um, inviting people to small groups or whatever, but really it just needs to start. Our first six months are just going to be us getting adjusted and meeting people as mm -hmm. much as we can and, and then going from there. Okay. So in that regard, would y'all consider this a very warm and open culture to like building relationships as opposed, you know, I, just, I know some places in the world um, are a lot harder to kind of break into with relationships and so forth. People are a little more closed. Would the Latin culture be one that's a little more open to just being with people, associating with friends, different things? It can be. It, it'll depend uh, on what situation. Like if I drove to the other side of the city and knocked on someone's door, they might be a little hesitant as to why I drove all the way across the city. But if you're in your neighborhood specifically, they're more than happy. They want to get to know their neighbors. Oh yeah. Um, so I would say I would say more so than here. It's more appropriate to go knock on someone's door, go talk to them in their yard or whatever. Um, but maybe not what we would imagine, where you just walk into anyone's house <laughs> anywhere yeah. in the city. Right. Also, Paul and I do know quite a few people who have moved 
to Mexico before and done mission work and had children there. And okay. they have said that having a baby just like brings people to you, especially oh, yeah. ma other moms. And they want to help you and they want to talk to you about it and they want to know you and know your baby and watch them grow up. And so I think that will be a big help as well in getting to meet people. Our friend Reagan, who's there right now, who just had her baby last week. Right. She um they said that once she got home all of their neighbors were surrounding her and so excited to see the baby because they knew that he was coming soon. Okay. And she got to meet them so quickly because she was I, I'm sure part of it was because she was pregnant and they wanted to get to know her because they knew that she was going to have a baby. Wow. Sounds like having a baby's gonna be a great benefit to your work down there. Yeah. yeah, terrific. Awesome. Maybe you'll get a lot of help out of that too. Who knows? <laughs> um and and great ways to I would think Continue to build, like you said, good relationships with other moms, uh, good relationships with just families nearby. So, sounds terrific. Mm -hmm. Well, what are the things that you that you have in your mind that you still have in your mind that are things that you really want to get in place before you leave? What are the big things going on right now? Yeah, so some of the things that we need to get done. There's obviously all the logistical things like mm -hmm. packing. Uh, you never, you can never uh, truly underestimate how little stuff you can take. It's always <laughs> less than you think. So, right. you know, trying to decide. We we've gone sorted through all of our stuff and said this is all the stuff we want to take. Yeah. And then had to go through that and say, okay, now this is really now this is really. <laughs> so you just have to yeah. keep doing that over and over and over. Um, gotcha. We also, of course, are doing things like a baby shower. Mm -hmm. um or just spending time with friends and family uh, and then like we mentioned a little earlier still trying to raise a little bit of monthly support mm -hmm. uh, before we head out yeah awesome anything for you claire that you would bring up here at the end something that you you just feel like okay all right i'm ready to go or mm, i feel like i've still gotta get this in order before i can leave to me, I'm always someone who feels like I'm forgetting things <laughs> yeah. all the time. So I just am like trying to think through my head, think in my head about, you know, do I have this done to make a checklist? Yeah. But I don't think there's anything else that Paul didn't mention that we have to do, but it just feels so overwhelming. And I don't know. I'll, I'm sure I'll get there and be like, oh, no. I, well, I know there are many people praying for y'all and uh, and I know you're going to have it all in order and what you don't have in order, God will take care of on the other end. I know that your, your mother and I are both just very pleased to know that you have such a good team that will be with you and around you down there that y'all will help each other through any kind of little bumps in the road that are bound to happen when you get there. There will be things we all know things happen. Nothing goes exactly as planned from the beginning. So, uh, but, but knowing, the great husband that you have, the, the great team that you guys make together, I think we are very, um, just very at ease and excited over what y'all's future is going to be like. I could ask, I'm going to ask one more question because of our point in history that we're at right now. And that is, what about this COVID issue? How are things down where you're going in Mexico? And what kind of expectations do y'all have about that? affecting just life as y'all are setting up down there? 
Now, things, uh, they're a little bit more behind. It's hard. Uh, Mexico is such a big country, so mm -hmm. some people like to look at, for example, a poorer place like Juarez and say, well, all of Mexico is doing horribly because mm. that's not necessarily the case. Okay. Uh, you can't. There's also Mexico City, which mm -hmm. they're having a tough time. There's also 30 million people there. Right. So it's it can be difficult to try and, and judge. Uh, from what we understand, for the most part, uh, vaccination rates aren't exceptionally high. So uh, most businesses, if not all businesses, will be requiring masks. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be a little bit more like what it was, you know, let's say four or five months ago here. Right. Okay. It's not going to be... Uh, it's not a severe strict lockdown where we won't be able to leave or anything. It, it's more of a mask mandate, okay. social distancing when possible. Right. And, okay. and so, of course, that's going to make things um, difficult a little to, bit, to right. meet people and mm -hmm. things like that. Because you, you can't go and uh, spend time in people's homes quite like you could. Right. Uh, but, of course, that doesn't mean that god doesn't work exactly that's like saying you know god didn't do anything during the plague right uh, of course he still worked it, it just yeah. looked a lot different it doesn't mean it's easier it might be a little bit more difficult but on the other hand some people through this COVID have uh, realized that maybe they need something yes. other than trusting in medicine or governments or whatever else and right so, uh, there's open hearts and and so there's some open doors as well Fantastic. Yeah, I would think that would be the way to look at it for sure. God's going to do, God will give you open doors through whatever situation you're in. And so this one can be used for his glory too. Well, guys, it has really been great to talk to y'all. Hopefully we'll be able to podcast from there when we go, when the baby's born. So, yes, yeah, that was Claire's mom joining in. Y'all hear her voice all the time. <laughs> But hopefully, yes, that we will be able to podcast when we are there visiting them in November, which we fully intend to do. That's when our first grandbaby is going to be born. So looking forward to that. And we are just glad that y'all were able to tune in with us today and uh, to get a little listen to this, get a little insight into what's about to happen in Cretro, Mexico, um, through this great team that's going down there. Lots of prayers would be very, very welcome for uh, all four of the families, these young families that are going to be there, and for the people who God is already prompting their hearts, prompting their souls to be responsive to him. Uh, we just know that that's what God does. He goes before us into every situation and really blazes a path for us. So we are in deep prayer about that. We pray also for all of your support to be raised um, very quickly, for God to work through that. Again, if anybody would like to contact about that, you can go uh, just send an email to ericmrob at eatscripture.com or gina, g-rob, g-i-n-a-g-r-o-b at eatscripture.com. And we will get you information about that right away. It really is a fantastic thing to help with. And you'd be right on the ground floor. I mean, you'd be in on this thing from the very beginning, helping to start something that's going to go on for generations. And so we would love to uh, get you information on that and just covet your prayers. God is so good uh, to all of us. And we know he's going to be good in this great work too. So really appreciate you tuning in. Look forward to coming back to you next time with some more from Luke's gospel. And until then, y'all have a great week.